Welcome to Amateur Activist. It's your host, Isabella Herrera, and this is the podcast where we attempt to change the world. Every episode, I'll bring you relevant and relatable conversations to equip you to be amateur activists. New episodes every other Friday, so strap in and get ready to dive into big conversations as we embrace our inner activist. Hello, amateur activists, and welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Isabella Herrera, and I am so excited for this week's episode because this week I sat down with Dr. Joel Holier, researcher, writer, social worker, and pastor. Joel recently released an ebook called We're All a Little Messed Up A Handy Guide to Trauma Informed Life on Planet Earth. I bought the ebook, read it in like a day, and decided that having a conversation with Joel would be both timely and helpful. So this week we're talking about just that. We're dipping our toes into understanding the biology of trauma, why it's important to listen to our bodies, and how we begin tuning into what it has to say, the difference between burnout and trauma, and why it's important to frame what we're feeling correctly. This is going to be a good episode, and I hope you enjoy it. But before you do, I do want to mention a slight trigger warning as we cover various topics surrounding trauma, um, some that might be traumatic and triggering. So if you are not in the right headspace, please, please come back when you are. Thank you to each and every one of you that takes the time to tune in and listen to Amateur Activist each week. I'm so, so fucking appreciative. If you want to leave me a review and let me know how you're feeling, head over to iTunes or you can use Spotify's new feature and just leave a star rating. Thank you so much. Now, let's get into this episode on living a trauma-informed life. Well, welcome to a new week of Amateur Activist. Um, This week, I have the pleasure of being joined by Joel Holier. Um, Welcome, Joel. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Of course. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. (sighs) Um, It's honestly, I've never actually met Joel in person, but this is the first (laughs) time that Joel and I are having a one-on-one conversation. I'm, I'm very excited. But I feel like I know you though. I feel I like it's yeah, weird. Like, social media is wonderful. I know social <laughs> media and Zoom is just it's made for like this weird yeah. relationship, knowing people, not knowing. Yeah, people. that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it um, does wonders. Would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about mm-hmm. yourself? Because I know there are probably people listening who have no idea who you are, <laughs> myself included. Um, <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Um, my name is Joel. I'm married to Thomas and we have a dog called Hank. Um, we live in Sydney, Australia and love it here. Uh, I have the honour of, I, I feel like I wear too many hats. That's the honest truth at this point. <laughs> we need to strip some back, but I'm enjoying them all. So I don't know which one to let go of. Um, one is I get to co-pastor a little church plant called New City Church, which is in Sydney, which we love. Um, it is I love it. Obsessed. So <laughs> you and me both. Um, <laughs> it is a queer affirming church. Uh, and it's, uh, our goal is to create safe spaces where people can find refuge and life. Uh, and it's really beautiful to be a part of, um, in another hat, I wear, I, I'm a social worker. I work with young people who have gone through quite significant trauma. Uh, I manage a health space 
And then in another hat, I teach and uh, work as an academic in a university setting in social work, social policy, uh, thinking around um, how do we interact in a world that is full of trauma. Uh, so it feels like at so many spaces, church, school, uni, all these spaces, uh, my life, trauma is a bit of a theme. And so I thought, hey, how about I just make that um, something that I talk more about because I think it's been really helpful for me. So yeah, I think that at the moment in my life, that might be the thread that ties those things together. Um, yeah. How's that? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Yeah. Great. That's a um, <laughs> good enough introduction. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's perfect. Um, and I, your experience with, um, I guess your job and you did your PhD in mm -hmm. behavioral science. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah yep, that's correct. Yep. So <laughs> both of those things and that thread of like trauma and kind of all the hats you wear is the reason why I invited you on and I wanted to talk about what I want to talk about today or this week, um, because I think it, it it is so timely and uh, I, mm. you would have to be living under a freaking rock to not have experienced what the last two years were collectively like as a collective group of humanity living mm. on earth but also like we each experienced trauma in our individual lives completely disconnected from um covid or from global things happening um and so yeah this week we'll be talking about um i guess not trauma in particular but uh moving forward with trauma mm. and um, I guess framing it in a better light. I mm. use question marks. I'm not sure where this is going to go. But. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? And I think being real about our experiences, and mm. that's a really hard thing to do to label them as something that has had impact on us because yeah. often we we don't want to. We, we think of ourselves as strong, as resilient, and we, we are all of those things. But there's another side to it, which we just need to name because we're not going to work through it until we name it. And, you know, maybe there's going to be a better name out there at some point. But at this point, for a lot of people, trauma feels like a good a good title yeah. to to stick on to those experiences. Um, but I never want to be somebody who defines myself or defines others by trauma uh, or this podcast. Like that's that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, right. And I hope that that never becomes the only thing that we talk about. We also talk mm -hmm. about a whole lot of strength and a whole lot of beautiful things that are happening that get us through some of life's shittier situations. Um, oh, sorry if this is PG, uh, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like we, yeah, some of those really beautiful things and the things that connect us and the things that bring the lights on. Um, I'd yeah. love to chat about that side of things too. My first, I was introduced to Joel first by, he was uh, invited to speak at a connect group that I was part of last year on the biology of trauma. And so Hmm. That instantly piqued my interest. And I was like, who is this person? <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I followed uh, you to New City. <laughs> yeah. um, I lured I was, you in there. Yeah. Um, I'd love if we could start there um, and just mm. you explain what that means, um, I guess, in this context or to you and how you use that. Um, and then mm. I guess we'll just go from there. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. 
Um, I guess it might be helpful to kind of backtrack a little bit in my mind to start thinking about uh, what, what is trauma in the first place, because there's a whole lot of misconceptions about what trauma is, what it fundamentally looks like and feels like. And if we don't kind of grasp that, then, um, yeah, we, we, we might be talking across disciplines, which just, you know, so maybe some clarity there around trauma is not necessarily really big things that happen. Um, it's not, you know, there's, there's your big ticket items, uh, you know, death of a family member, a car crash, uh, uh, you know, and there's childhood trauma in all its myriad forms. There's so much in there. Um, but trauma doesn't have to be, you know, one incident that throws you entirely. Sometimes it's millions of little things and it's this accumulation of we might call them micro traumas where it's, it's an accumulation of little things that build up and one day we wake up and you know there's some certain red flags that we might be looking for like oh i just don't feel myself or i'm feeling depressed or i'm feeling anxious you know mental health concerns. Uh, we might be constantly tired. Uh, we might have changes or fluctuations in our appetite. We might have digestive issues. We might get headaches all the time. And there's all these symptoms that come around. And there's so many people that I'm speaking to at the moment who are fitting all of these categories so neatly. Um, it's like they're ticking every single box here. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to diagnose you, but here's a diagnosis. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think uh, what we need to have language around is the impact of all of those experiences on our body mm. because we're not just we're not just in the realm of the the mental uh in in the west for a while we've tried to have a neat little separation between what happens in the brain and what happens in the body um, and increasingly we're recognizing that that distinction doesn't actually exist it's not a helpful one at all um, and so when we're thinking through trauma and its implications on mental health, what we're actually thinking about is how is my body responding to this moment? Mm -hmm. um, how is my body experiencing my present reality in light of these past experiences? Mm. So I, I think that's how I think about trauma these days. It's how is my body experiencing this moment in light of what I've previously experienced? And sometimes our body doesn't feel safe, even though we can logically think through the fact that we are safe. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, a while back, my husband and I were walking along uh, just a, a jetty and somebody was doing sky riding across the sky and the words were, Jesus loves you. A really lovely message. Like it's, it's nice to say, Jesus loves you. Uh, both my husband and I straight away felt ourselves just switching off and we went quiet and we walked for a little while. I felt a churning in my stomach. My husband was struggling to find words. Uh, the conversation just died down and it struck me. We'd both gone into this dissociative state almost we'd both shut down because we saw that and our bodies just responded because we'd had really hard experiences just recently in a church setting and right. so to see those words which were really beautiful and uplifting without us even thinking about those experiences at church mm. our bodies just went oh we're not comfortable here and mm. started shutting down and that's that's what trauma does uh, that's 
that's how it acts on our lives. And so uh, a, a practitioner by the name of Bessel van der Kolk, he has said quite famously that trauma uh, is stored in the body and the body keeps the score. That's the title of a, a brilliant book, which I, I recommend to, to everyone. Uh, the body keeps the score because all of our muscles, all of our, you know, the, the, uh, the chemicals that are wrecking about in our body, they're all tied to our brain. Mm. Uh, they're all tied to our memories and we can't separate them. And so I am such a fan of listening to our bodies when it comes to thinking about trauma, listening to what is going on, what am I, what am I feeling? Uh, we'd call it our our interoception. What like mm. what are those feelings inside us that we're experiencing that can't quite neatly be labeled an emotion, but they're also very clearly tied to our emotive state. Right. Um, and so, yeah, is that making sense that yeah. so far? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I've been on a huge journey kind of rediscovering all of this and it's been mind boggling and wonderful. Um, and it makes so much sense of my own life um, and the lives of the, the people that I get to work with and interact with and, mm. and yeah, the, the journeys that I get to walk alongside. Um, and so I think maybe that's what I talk about when I talk about the biology of trauma. It's, it's our body's responses. Mm. Um, and mental health is extraordinarily important to talk about. Don't, don't ever let me, don't ever hear me not saying that we need to talk about depression. We need to talk about anxiety. We need to talk about chemical imbalances in the brain and the impact of, uh, of our experiences and, and mental health. Uh, but I think when we talk purely about mental health, we miss talking about what's actually going on in our physical selves, our embodied realities, uh, what, what's happening in our fingertips, what's happening in our stomachs, what's happening in our feet, what's happening in our calf muscles, because often they're giving us really strong signals to say, I'm not comfortable here and we're plowing yeah. on through life as though everything's fine, but yeah. it, it's not. We, we have to do some processing. It's hard though to listen to our bodies. Hey, uh, listen, yeah. it's it's not comfortable. And I uh, uh, sometimes when we say let's listen to our bodies, the first thing that we want to do is just shut our bodies down because our bodies have been screaming at us for so long. We've yeah. we've lost the ability to listen carefully, mm. and so I just want to be really careful in this domain because I don't want to heap guilt or shame or just something else that you have to do on top of what you're already doing right. and say this, this is a process as we start to gently listen to what's going on. Mm. Uh, and sometimes when we start tuning into our bodies, we discover things that we actually don't want to hear, mm -hmm. uh, feelings that we don't, <laughs> we're, we're, and that's okay. You, yeah. you don't have to listen to your body right now. Um, right. You, but over time, it's going to be healthy for you to start tuning into to yeah. what is going on. Um, so then the question becomes, what is going on in our bodies? What is, like, what is actually happening? Uh, yeah. And that's, that's this phenomenal area of the biology of trauma, which is incredibly fascinating because the brain is firing on all sorts of cylinders. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I can bore people <laughs> no, about, I think it's so, Sorry. I think it is so fascinating because I think, and maybe yeah. this is just a, I don't know. I don't want to just kind of push it on another, make it another church thing. But mm. I think when you 
grow up being told that your flesh is inherently sinful and to not listen to your body, which is a whole other (laughs) conversation Mm. of tactic and whatever. But I think it is incredibly uncomfortable, especially when you grow up with those messages being thrown at you from such a young age. Mm. And you don't know what you're meant to trust, especially when there's mind and body and soul and spirit, you know, that Mm. dynamic. And like, for me personally, it was just, it's been such a game changer over the last year of going, my body is, the alarms are like blaring and I can either (laughs) choose to completely ignore them and act like everything's okay. Or I step out and am completely uncomfortable and go, maybe this just this one time I'm listening to the alarms and we'll Mm. see what happens next. And mm. it isn't, it is so scary. And like, <laughs> it is so uncomfortable yeah. because for years I haven't been listening. And it's like mm. that weird thing of like, well, like, what is it trying to tell me? I have, I can't even speak the language of my body mm. and what it's trying to communicate. But I know that mm. what I'm, what I want to do feels like wrong for a lack of a better word, whether it makes me feel anxious mm. or it makes me feel unsafe. So I'm not going to go do that thing. And we'll just see, see what happens from there. (laughs) It's not boring. It's incredibly important because Mm. yeah. 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 And that's such a good point. Like it's, it, it is a journey, especially for those of us who myself included, we're told that our, our desires, for example, are sinful. Our desires are inherently evil. Our bodies are uh, shrapnel of the fall, that kind of mentality, which, um, uh, you know, there are desires which aren't helpful. We can all name that, but to to take that to the next step and say uh, anything that you feel can't be trusted mm. becomes really damaging because yeah. often it's our feelings that are, yeah, as you say, they're, they're the alarm bells. They're the red flags that we need to be listening to that help us uh, navigate what next steps are. And so it's it's such a process of mm-hmm. learning to listen to the body and learning to, I think even just learning to breathe in a healthy way. Um, yeah. You know, for some people, I watch it as I say, take three deep breaths and a panic attack kicks in because the idea of taking three deep, deep breaths in a safe space is yeah. so foreign. Uh, yeah. The idea that you can breathe and not feel like you have to be guilty or not feel like you have to be running or not feel like you have to have shame heaped on you. That's, that's new territory for a lot of people. And so I want to be building spaces where people can just relax and know that their bodies can be listened to. Yeah. Uh, and and create the, the I think that's what I mean a lot of the time when I say let's create safe spaces um, and I, I think people inherently know what a safe space is for them um, a safe space is different for yeah. for everybody um, but I don't think many people have that language of my body can relax in a safe space we might say you know I, I, I feel cheery or I feel f- comfortable or I feel easy to get along with, or I, I speak my mind, I feel myself like that's the kind of language that we talk about in a safe space. Uh, but I think I just want to take it to the, to, yeah, to that next level to say, well, when do you feel your body relax? 
Right. Uh, when do you feel your your heart rate drop? When do you feel your lungs fill with air? Um, that that's your safe space. Right. Uh, that that is when your body is truly feeling safe. I've spoken to so many people who, when you ask that question, the answer is, I don't think I've ever felt that. Yeah. Um, or I haven't felt that in such a long time. Mm. And for some of us, uh, we actually have to manufacture that. Um, and that, I think that's the good news. We can, we can do work to help our bodies relax. We can, we can, we can work to make us feel safe in, in spaces where historically we may, may not have felt safe, but now we are safe, logically speaking. Now we're playing catch up to get our bodies to that point. And as we enter these spaces, uh, you know, I, I walked into a room full of people the other day. I was, I was a presenter. I was, uh, I was in charge of what was going to happen in the next little while. I was in my comfort zone. I knew exactly what was happening. It just happened to be that this room was full of people who reminded me of somebody who'd hurt me really badly. And I don't get nervous speaking in front of groups normally, but I'm telling you, my cortisol was just through the roof. Like my adrenaline was punching. I was ready to just bundy on out of there. I felt myself sweating. It was, it was so bizarre. And I had to stop and be like, okay, what's my body talking to me about? Like, why, why am I fit? Oh yeah, that's right. Mm. Once upon a time I was in a say an unsafe space and this space, it reminds me of that. It, and we, we call them triggers, but I think that's not a useful word in some contexts because you know, it can mean anything and everything. But, uh, but when your body starts reacting like that, uh, you, you know that something is there. And so as I entered into that space, I was able to take a few really deep breaths yeah. and ground myself. Um, and we, we can talk about, you know, different strategies for that. But for me, I could, I could feel my heart rate go up. Um, for some people, they start shaking. We, we'd call this the fight, flight, freeze mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, fighting, your body just gets ready to, to take down whatever it is that's coming up against you. Um, freezing is when your body just shuts down. It's, it's your dissociative continuum. Uh, and then fleeing, your, your muscles become exceptionally elastic when you are in a trauma response like you all of a sudden you can run faster than you could before uh, you are stronger than you could before your pupils dilate so you physically are taking in more information than you were five seconds ago which is why when we have these instances we we seem to have time slowed down because we're, we're actually our senses are actually taking in more information and so it feels like you know that that's that time continuum has been warped because because we're actually overloading ourselves with so much information uh, because we're trying to find a safe way out of that situation. Uh, Which is so fascinating that our, our bodies are created like that to, yes. <laughs> to slow yeah. down and protect us in that way, which, yeah. Um, I think, I think you wrote it in maybe your book or I, I, I feel like you've said mm -hmm. it somewhere, I've read it somewhere where like that, that trauma response is actually, it's meant to be helpful. It, mm. <laughs> it's, it's a protective, yeah. it's our body's way of protecting and warning us and 
um, it just is, it stops being helpful when it, <laughs> when it yeah, isn't helpful anymore. It just really gets in the way. <laughs> yes, it's, it can be quite um, inconvenient. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, yeah. And a lot of people will speak about this in, in evolutionary terms as, you know, once upon a time we had to stick together and if a saber tooth tiger was coming at us, then we'd have to, you know, <laughs> yeah. fight, flight, freeze. Um, um, the, the other one is flock when you, you move towards safe people uh, mm. and you, you try and attach yourself to a community, which I think is often a, a really good idea unless it's an unhelpful community. Um, but fight, flight, freeze, flock, they're, they're so deeply embedded into us. Yeah. Um, and as you say, they're brilliant. It's such an incredible mechanism that we have in our bodies to get us out of dangerous situations. Uh, but when I walked into that room ready to lead a presentation, I weren't in no danger. I was fine. <laughs> like I was, yeah. uh, they, were, they, were, they were lovely people. And so I had to do the work of reconvincing my body that I'm safe, that I am right. okay, that I, I can get through this, that this person in front of me is not that person. Right. And that looks different for everybody. For some people who have experienced, for example, um, abuse in a intimate partner situation, then for them getting close to somebody becomes a huge trigger. And so they feel their fight, flight, freeze mechanism start rising. And naturally they start to, to self-sabotage those efforts because they, their body is saying, wait a minute, once upon a time, I wasn't safe in this situation. Right. Uh, for children who've experienced neglect, the whole world becomes unsafe because when they needed somebody to care for them, to protect them, there was nobody there. And so those, those natural mechanisms that we have to say, you know, I, I need help and crying out for help, a baby cries and somebody comes and cuddles them. And that is to them that they, they learn that they're safe. They learn that they are uh, in a space where they can relax their bodies. And if they haven't learned that or the opposite, they've, they've learned it and then had to quickly unlearn it through neglect or abuse, then uh, they, they have that embedded. We have that embedded on our minds. And so coming back to a space of saying, no, this, this relationship or this space or this activity or this time of the day or uh, this group of people are safe, that's really hard. Uh, that that's really complex and I don't ever want to minimize that uh, because it, it can be so, so unbelievably difficult. And that's where I think it's almost impossible to do it by yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. You actually need to, to bring in other people and um, you know, I'll say it till the cows come home. Trauma healing happens in the context of relationship. It happens in the context of connection. Right. Uh, and so building safe networks becomes such an important part of allowing our bodies and our minds as well to feel safe again. Mm. Um, so all of this, like when you, I know you, you've started off with the idea of the biology of trauma, but I've kind of just taking no, it all over perfect. the places, but, but all of this keeps coming back to that. Like it's, it's, it's the way that our bodies fire in order to keep us safe. Annoyingly, they fire too often. Uh, right. And so we do the work of getting to know our bodies of getting to understand what's going on. And in the context of, 
either professional help or supportive family and friends, we actually start to bring those cortisol levels down, bring that adrenaline down, relax our, our nervous system uh, that that's firing uh, yes. so that we can comfortably exist in those spaces again. Um, that, yeah, that's a, a, a 10,000 foot view. I think of how we, how we uh, understand trauma in these places. Um, yeah. I don't know. Does that sp spark any questions for you or, thoughts well i think you brought up a really like the two analogies you gave of um you and thomas on the walk and then you um was it a conference yeah 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 at the conference i think it's learning understanding your body and how it reacts and uh how it communicates with you is is important when you are in a situation where you need to figure out what's safe and what's unsafe but it's also important because as you've mentioned like how to diffuse a, a trauma response when there is mm. no real danger or um mm -hmm. you're not on you're not actually unsafe everything you've said so far it's super important to understand why your body is reacting the way it is um mm. and then how to 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 implement techniques and little tools which I guess we can talk about next, if you'd like mm. um, the different, uh, I will say I, Joel just recently released a, is it, would you call it a, a PDF book? A little, yeah, just a, a little ebook. E I don't yeah, know. An ebook. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, which was, in, I found very helpful. Um, mm. but it's called, uh, we're all a little bit, all, all a little messed up, um, mm. a handy guide to trauma informed life on planet earth, which has some really good um, techniques and tips and tricks, but, um, would love if you could talk about a few of your own or yeah. a few that you've, that you, you wrote about in the ebook. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And I guess, um, yeah, the caveat with all of these things is no one strategy works for everybody. And it's part of everyone's journey to work out what, what works for me, what works for you. How can we, um, yeah, and in the context of either a therapeutic relationship or just Googling it, working out what, you know, what, what is helpful for you and your body and your mind. Um, I think I, I, these days I split them into two different categories. There's ones that uh, you can go from the bottom up or top down, um, bottom up or top down. Uh, the top down ones are the ones where we use our cortex, literally the, the top of our head, the, at, at the largest portion of our brain to talk ourselves through different situations. Uh, and so we, uh, we speak to ourselves, we use our, our logical brain, our critical thinking brain to actually uh, get ourselves through different situations. And they're your mantras. There's, you know, I, I am safe in this situation. I am safe in this situation. I know what I'm doing. I'm comfortable. Like, and you know, it's, it's all the self-talk that I think we do. And the brain is a remarkable thing. We have all these different theories of personality um, about, you know, what the brain does and who we are and stuff. But I think the most remarkable thing about the brain is that we can actually converse with ourselves and have a, we can have a, an actual conversation with ourselves and change our own mind without yeah. anybody ever <laughs> saying anything, you know, like that is, yeah. that is a mind boggling thing that I don't think we talk about enough. Mm -hmm. um, like uh, we, we can have conversations in our own little brain and those conversations can help us get through so many situations. Yeah. 
And that is, that, that's what we'd call a, a top-down approach. It's talking right. ourselves through. Um, uh, unfortunately, though, when the trauma response is firing, it's really hard to actually get our cortex to come online. Um, and mo anyone who's had a panic attack, anyone who's had a, a, a trauma response to a situation will know that self-talk kind of goes out the window and all of a sudden we, we become totally incomprehensible even to ourselves, let alone anybody else. And so, yeah. and so those top-down approaches, they, they fail us as well. And that's where we bring the bottom-up approach. And that is we start engaging our senses. Um, and so we have... Uh, you know, we have our, our five senses that we often speak about, our, our, our taste, our touch, our smell, our sight. And what's the other one that I've missed? I always do this. Hearing? There's five. Hearing. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and it's, it's bringing those five on board to say, okay, I need your help here. Um, mm. what, what can you tell me about this situation? This is such an ancient methodology. Um, what we're talking about here is nothing new. Um, Eastern spiritualities, Eastern medicine, Eastern thinking have been doing this for millennia. And we in the West are kind of just jumping on board now. We'd be like, yeah, yoga. Um, but there's, there's yep. so much depth in this. Um, and I, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface as I go and I, I'm learning so much, but um, it, it's uh, engaging our senses to actually bring us back to the present. Uh, and so, you know, we can work through our five senses. For me, I like to touch something that feels a little bit different to what I'm already. So I might touch something that's cold. I might hold a piece of glass if I've, who has a piece of glass? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hold something that's cold, hold a piece of ice or a cup of tea or, and it's, and you focus on that for a moment. Um, or you might list the things that you can see. Uh, it's it's engaging your sight. You might list to things that you can hear or smell. So that's that's engaging your senses. There's uh, there's another couple of types of sense that we often don't speak about, and this is um, drawing on occupational therapy terrain, um, the the principles that they often use when thinking through trauma. Uh, the concept of interoception is the feelings within us so it's uh you know it's am i hungry am i feeling nauseous are my muscles tired it's it's the feelings that we have when they're not on the outside it's a it's our interoception so it's not touch it's not taste but it's it's a legitimate sense um and so starting to think through that and that's where breathing comes in um can i focus on that sense my interoceptive sense my my breathing uh and that is i love it because it's it's one thing that won't get taken from us um if it does we're in a lot of trouble and you know we'll be on trauma there um, but we can we can start to gain control of our breath right. and that's that's usually quite doable um there's there's very few exceptions um there, there's going to be sometimes where getting control of your breath is going to be really hard but most of the time we can say hey take four deep breaths to a friend um uh, and yeah. they'll they'll be able to do it or we can say take four deep breaths to myself and, and take some of those deep breaths. The beautiful thing about doing that is, uh, you know, in our exhale, we, we sense it, we, we feel it. And in our exhale, it actually brings on line our sympathetic nervous system, which is all of those good systems that, that calm our body. 
Um, it, it brings our cortisol level down. It brings our adrenaline down. Uh, and so there's, there's this beautiful balance between I'm, I'm not just focusing on my breath at this point. Um, my breath is also bringing my body back into alignment. Right. Um, which is, I don't, I don't, that's just remarkable. Like who yeah. discovered that? That's wonderful. Um, so as we, as we breathe, we do that. We could also think about uh, our, our proprioception and that is how we feel in the space that we're in. Um, and that is your grounding ideas that like, how, how does it feel to have your butt on that chair right now um, facing a camera? What, what does it feel right. for you to be have your, having your feet on the ground underneath you? And it's more than just, I can feel the carpet. It's, it's I feel connected to something solid. Uh, right. I feel stabilized. I feel balanced. Um, and that balance is our, our vestibular system that needs to kind of be fairly in line if we're going to feel feel safe. Um, and all of these sensors are all working at the same time to to feed our brain. If we're having a trauma response, sometimes they're working way too fast, and so it's right. a matter of slowing them down and saying, "Oh, I can touch this nice, cool surface, and I feel it, and I, my, my senses aren't being overloaded. I shut my eyes for a few moments to block out the sensory stimulus. I, I, I might listen to music so that I actually only can hear music that I've, I've chosen because I, I can predict what's going to happen. Right. Um, and so that, that's the bottom-up approach. So does that make sense? We've got that, yeah. that top-down, that bottom-up approach. And I think between those two that's when we start to learn to actually walk ourselves and others through the trauma response uh, to, to the point where we can start feeling safe in a, in a given space. Mm. Often, uh, often the first few sessions in therapy are just this. Um, it's, yeah. it's getting ourselves to feel safe in a new space. Um, yeah. it's, it's getting ourselves, our bodies ready. And I should say, I'm not a therapist. I'll never claim to be a therapist. Um, but I've, I've had therapy and I've worked with plenty of therapists and I, I research this stuff to, to work out what is it that therapists do that works. And, mm -hmm. uh, and this is consistently something that just keeps coming up, uh, finding a safe space in in your body in a therapy space is, is really important um so yeah there there i think that there's no one tool or mm. maybe that's that's not quite a toolbox but it's a i think a an overall perhaps uh, framework for thinking through how we use what we use perhaps yeah. that i've found really helpful yeah yeah well i think the the bottom-up approach is is how it's funny because the things that you were listing, I don't, I don't, maybe I didn't have the language for, but it's what I journal. If I, I try to journal every day. Um, mm -hmm. and one of the two things that I consistently answer is how do I feel right now? Just because mm. some, I want to, I was trying to move away from journaling only when I feel, uh, anxious or triggered. Like I wanted to journal mm -hmm. just when I feel amazing or when I feel like nothing or when I feel whatever. Wonderful. And so the first thing I, I normally answer is how do I feel right now? Like while I'm writing, not how I want to feel or what I was mm. feeling earlier today, but how I feel right now. And then, mm -hmm. um, what does it feel like sitting journaling right now? So like the emotion mm. side, but also the physical, like do I feel uncomfortable? Like physically, do I, mm. does my knee hurt? Like identifying that before I start to, um, 
journal my thoughts or get whatever out, which is funny because you were talking and I was like, oh, that's so funny that I don't know why I chose to start my journaling like that, but it's just yeah. what I do. <laughs> it's such a good practice. It is um, really, it, it's, it's been really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it, it trains you to listen to your body. And if yep. you're listening to your body when things are good, then you're going to be able to listen to your body when things are askew. And, yep. you know, you might just have a tummy bug or you might have anxiety or you might have a, a trauma response that's kicking off. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. I've, I've also realized is that what I was talking about before about you not knowing how to listen to your body, what it's saying is that I ended up and I feel like so many people do it as well. Gaslighting yourself into thinking mm. that you're overreacting or mm -hmm. you're just, you should just power through it. And I'm like, the amount of times that I've gaslit myself <laughs> into thinking that nothing's wrong, unless just all be yeah. in my head. And then I go, wait, that's the point is that it is all like it, it is in my head or it is in my yeah. body and I should be listening to it. That, that like kind of throw away it's all in your head it's like no yeah i know that's what i'm yeah. trying to tell you is that something <laughs> is not right and that it's telling me it's not right and i should listen to that mm. and not mm. throw it away because it's only in my head or in my body yeah yep yeah. oh um, another way to think about it it's in your head therefore it's important yeah um, exactly yeah. like that, <laughs> yeah. that that's what makes it matter yeah yep yep um if you wanted to, we could briefly talk about um, one of the, your blog posts that was on your website that um, mm. talked a little bit about the difference between trauma and burnout. I feel like mm. coming out of um, the heat of COVID or the peak of COVID into us in the West, at least, where things kind of feel like they're okay, yet mm -hmm. COVID still exists. And um, so many of us are now at a place where we can kind of start um relaxing our shoulders and going, okay, what was the last two and a half years or two years? Um, mm. Would you mind talking a little bit about that before we go into um, some of the questions I got from Instagram? Yes, certainly. And I think this is one of those areas where language becomes helpful. Yes. And it's not that it's the be all and end all. It's not that there's a super clear distinction between when burnout ends and trauma begins. But but when we actually are able to label things with different labels and play around with different words, eventually we find something that's like, oh, that fits for me. And I think I was listening to a lot of people say, I'm feeling really burnt out. And the symptoms were everything that we've just shared. Right. Um, because they've just lived through, you know, or they're living through a, a pandemic in which, you know, they, they've had to cancel weddings. They haven't been able to go to funerals. They've been fearful of their life. They've been fearful of other people's lives. There's, there's been horrendous scenes mm. through our television on our phones consistently. There's uh, a nine o'clock date every morning that everyone is hanging on to. Yeah. And we know that we're going to hear about loved ones that have lost their lives. We're going to, we're, we're seeing so much suffering. And all of those things are potentially traumatic. Not, not everything that is potentially traumatic ends in trauma, but uh, with, with burnout, there's a, there's a fairly clear progression between exhaustion and then comes the mental health. And that's, that's the, the path that typical burnout takes. But I don't think people were exhausted. Uh, I don't think people were working too hard through COVID. I don't think people were you know, had their calendars chock a block. And so there was so much pressure on their shoulders. Um, and so burnout for a lot of people just didn't sit right. Uh, 
um, they won't say, uh, and it didn't, it felt like we didn't quite have the language. And so when I, for myself said, oh, I'm not burned out. I'm just feeling traumatized. Like I'm feeling like I can't turn the TV on without feeling anxious. Yeah. I'm feeling like I can't step outside without, uh, without my heart rate starting to pick up a little bit. I can't meet with my mum and give her a hug without feeling nauseous. Um, all, all of these things are beyond burnout. There's some stress involved there, but it's more than stress because my body is now responding, even though I know that I'm safe. Um, it's, it's, it's beyond the language that we had given it. And so naming it as trauma is really helpful for me to then think, okay, well, what's the work that I need to do to actually take control of my body? Uh, what are the, what are the communities and conversations that I need to have to get me through my, my, my response at this point, because I, I can do that. I can take control of my body. Right. Um, I, that, that is very doable. I can't control COVID. Um, right. I can't control lockdowns. I can't control Ukraine like that. That's so far out of my yeah. scope, but I can take control of my breathing. Um, right. I can control my heart rate. And so I think that's what I found really helpful framing it as that because um, it, it helps me navigate the world in a much calmer way. I do, if you have the time, quickly go mm. through these two questions. There were a few questions that were sent through on Instagram for this episode, but I think these mm. two are are probably two that people can most relate to. So the first mm -hmm. question you've... Um, I feel like we've maybe touched on is about how best to support or care for someone who is living with maybe chronic trauma and you're just in relationship with them. Like what's the best way mm. that people can support their friends, their family, their, their partners when mm. they're dealing with such trauma that maybe isn't um, felt as like, the mm. the friend or the family member yeah yeah good question um uh it's complex isn't it mm. um because uh like what we said earlier people who have experienced trauma often they engage because they they feel like they have to in these self-sabotaging mm. missions um which results in breakdown of relationship uh and so uh it, it can be really hard to know well, what's trauma what is yeah. uh what is just you know a friend is really struggling and what is you know this this person's a bit of a jerk rarely is anybody actually a bit of a jerk um yeah. usually there is something that's going on underneath the surface that we want to get to um i feel like i always have to caveat to say i i'm i'm not a medical doctor um i'm also not a psych i'm not your therapist um I, this isn't advice that I'm giving any one individual. These are just some general principles that I've found really helpful. Um, one thing that we know is really important for recovering from trauma is predictability. Uh, and so it's, it's rocking up when you've said that you'll rock up. Um, we know that uh, when people feel like a friend is reliable, it, it makes a huge difference. And that is tenfold for somebody who has struggled to trust people for a, for a myriad of reasons. And so I think that would just be the first one that I would say, just be a reliable, predictable friend. Um, I'd also say if it's, if it's complex, get some professional help. 
um, I have sat with friends as we've jumped online and we've Googled uh, what a, a good psychologist that might fit the bill for them. I've dropped people off at GP sessions, got them free Medicare, psychologists help um, it, su support people in that way and offer to rock up to sessions if, if that's what's needed. Um, so there's predictability, getting help. Um, and I think just being present is extraordinarily powerful. Uh, when somebody says uh, something that is a bit out there, um, having in the back of your mind that you know, this person has been through a lot uh, and that doesn't mean that you have to be the person that they wear down and tear down and um, you, you, you look after your, yourself as well. But if you're acting from a place of strength, you're actually able to, to support them through that. Um, and there's, there's a remarkable ability within humans to actually mirror the emotional state of what another person is feeling. Yeah. And for some of us, that means we get sucked into this vortex of people who've experienced trauma and out of a space of empathy and wanting to care, we end up feeling exactly the same as them. But it can also work. You're smiling because you're like, yeah, that, that feels like something I've witnessed. Yeah. Like it's, it's what those people who care do. Um, but it also works in reverse. If we can, um, if we can meet them where they're at and feel some of their pain and then regulate ourselves, then we actually have the ability to, to induce co-regulation, to actually bring them into a space where they feel comfortable and safe. And so I will sit with people and they don't know that I'm doing breathing techniques, but I'm doing breathing techniques mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm getting my own heart rate into a space where I can feel calm. And there's something incredibly powerful about the, the, calming presence of a non-anxious person uh, who yeah, yeah who, who can actually be with somebody even though they're they're panicking and stressed and feeling unsafe if i can remain calm it, it brings them out of that i think of so many instances where i've worked with uh, particularly traumatized kids where you know things are getting are getting dicey there's some uh you know violence that could could break out um and I've just cracked a really lame joke and it just breaks the ice a little bit and I laugh and they kind of have to crack a smile. And th there's, there's this fantastic power within humanity, I think, to actually bring people on a journey of wellness, both in the moment, but also o over the longer periods. Um, and, and I think the final thing that I would say is that all we've already said trauma healing happens in the context of relationship and connectedness i would say that that has to be a network of connection it mm -hmm. can't just be one person if we if we are the one person supporting a traumatized person we're actually doing them a disservice because we're teaching them to not trust everybody but us and so it it doesn't become a healthy therapeutic pathway now sometimes uh, you know, a, a therapist might be the first person that that person trusts, but then the goal of the, a good therapist, at least, will then always be saying, well, who else can we reach out to? Who else can we bring into this web of safety, this web of security? And, and we do exactly the same things for our friends. Uh, it's one of the core reasons why I started it or helped start a church, because that's what churches should be. Uh, they so often aren't, but uh, I know that I can't care for... 80 people. Um, I can't care for 400 people. I can't care for however big this church grows.
but if we build a web of connection, then people can care for each other. Um, and so if, if you are listening and you are carrying the burden of caring for somebody, let me say, well done, like, thank you for being present and, and doing that hard work, but also start building that web, uh, bring other people into that journey because it's, it's that network that's going to really, um, pay rich dividends as the, as the journey keeps going on. Um, but it's, it's a long journey. Hey, as someone who has experienced trauma is the question of does trauma ever leave Hmm. the body or, or your mind, or is it something that you reckon with deal with carry for your entire life? Hmm. Yeah. Good question. Uh, look, the jury's still out, um, on that one. There are some people who say Damn. no trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Helpful answer, isn't it? There's some people who would say, uh, trauma never leaves the body. And then there are those who say, actually, no, we can get to the point where we don't notice it and therefore it's as good as gone. Mm. Um, I, I like to put myself in the second camp, um, with, with a few caveats. There are some traumas that will never fully go. Mm. But my hope is that we can start telling different stories about those traumas. And being the storied creatures that we are, we learn to sit in that trauma and we make meaning out of it. Mm. That's not to say in any way that you can sit with somebody and say, oh, just think about how good the future is going to be. You're going to be so much stronger. It's not how it works. Um, but we can tell those stories to ourselves and to each other such that we do see that we, we'd call it post-traumatic growth. Uh, we do see some of that, that positive come out of it. Um, and then I think for the, the huge majority of trauma that we experience, I actually think that we can get to the point where, uh, it, it, we're able to think back on it. We're able to recall it. We're able to talk about it and our bodies don't go into fight, flight, freeze mode. Right. Um, like, I think that's, that's actually quite doable and it happens all the time. Mm. And for me, that is saying, well, another way to say that would be that trauma is no longer traumatic. Um, that right. trauma has, has left the body. And so I can think of many traumas that I've experienced, some huge, some tiny, that I can actually talk about and laugh about and make fun of in my in my mind now and mm. feel really comfortable about that. Right. And so I think maybe I'm the eternal optimist, but no, I, I think that there is, there's hope. Um, yeah. At the very least, even if trauma has never left the body, we're able to build different stories about that trauma. And I think we can, we can hope for that and we can expect that. Uh, and that's, that's let, let's not underestimate the power of that. I think first I want to say thank you so much, but yeah. also how, as so many of us start to re-enter, I mean, 2022, we're four, almost five months, four months, a full four months in, mm. which is insane to think about at, mm. <laughs> that it's, it's almost the end of April, but I yep. guess how can we, if you have any encouragement or even just practical things, hmm. how, what can we do as we go into the rest of this year 
and mm. and <laughs> as people who are all a little bit messed up and living <laughs> the best trauma informed life that we can for the rest of this year if, if that makes mm. sense yeah yep look we're all a little bit messed up in the same way in this one which is nice um like we've all been through a similar narrative and so i think that that's a really good place to start um not that we've all experienced it the same but we have been through a similar trajectory over the past couple of years i think what i'm seeing in a lot of my circles is at the moment people are are trying to disconnect and they're trying to step away because they're, they're wanting to just relax and they're, they're a bit anxious going back into society and they're, they're nervous about stepping in too quickly. And I want to say they're all really valid, but we need to also be careful that we're consciously reconnecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what uh, is what a lot of people are finding uncomfortable and nerve wracking at this point for a whole myriad of reasons. But I also think it's really important I think it's something that we're going to need to proactively do together. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, having parties with everyone, but it does mean making sure that we're keeping those connections and friendships alive and functioning and healthy in what, whatever ways we can, because what we don't want to see happen is we get to the end of the year and the loneliness that is already epidemic in society has just been supercharged because of everything that's happened. And so I think that that for me is the biggest uh, concern I have at this moment, that that people need to connect and we can't let that slide. Yeah. Other than that, it's deep breaths and onward we go. Like it's, yeah. um, and and we, we've had this huge conversation about listening to our bodies, that that's what it is like go forth and listen to thy body like just be be aware that it might come out of the blue it might be quite a shock to you that uh you know you all of a sudden want to flee a situation but if we're aware of it we can be expecting it anticipating it building our toolkit while we're healthy thinking through grounding ourselves practicing our breathing all of those things if we're we're proactive on those, I think it sets us in a good place. So connecting, listening to the body, I think that's how we have to tackle this together. I don't know. Maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe I've missed the mark entirely, but I feel like that's there's some wisdom in that somewhere. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. Um thank you so much, Joel. Like genuinely, mm. it it I've learned so much and have also been so affirmed in my journey over the last couple of years. And I am and I'm just believing and hopeful that so many mm. people who listen will be either will learn something incredibly new and will be able to take it with them as they heal and grow in the mm. next few months, but also for the rest of their lives, but then mm. it also will um, impact their communities. I think that people are, you're doing this with people because then you can say things like that and it has to be so normal. Um, <laughs> that's that, so that, good. That's my hope for this is that, um, and I always say if it helps just one person, then it, it's fucking worth it. But I mm. do think that this episode in particular is going to help more than one person because it is, it's so timely. And um, the way you communicate is just so, it, 
it just, it is what it is, but it's so beautiful and it's so helpful. So thank you so much. Joel. Mm, uh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I, yeah, I hope that it's helpful and it just kickstarts a conversation. So yeah, thank you so much. You're doing wonderful work. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope this episode was relevant and relatable and that there was something in here that you can take into the everyday part of your life that can help impact an aspect of your world and you can be your own version of an amateur activist. See you next time.